Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Self Compassion by Kristin Neff, a groundbreaking book that challenges us to transform the way we treat ourselves. Published in 2011, Self Compassion addresses the crucial issue of self criticism and feelings of inadequacy that many of us wrestle with. Through the lens of empirical psychological research, Neff elucidates the destructive consequences of harsh self-judgment and proposes a more compassionate way of self-relating that fosters emotional resilience and well-being. Kristin Neff, an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin, stands at the forefront of research on self-compassion. As a co-founder of the non-profit Center for Mindful Self-Compassion and the co-developer of the Mindful Self-Compassion Training Program, Neff brings invaluable expertise and insight to her readers. Her work, including the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, co-authored with Chris Germer, has made significant contributions to the understanding and practice of self-compassion. Self-compassion is an essential read for self-critics, self-doubters, and self-improvers alike. It offers a powerful message of hope and healing for anyone yearning to forge a kinder, more accepting relationship with themselves. Join us as we explore the transformative principles of self-compassion that can lead to profound changes in our mental health, happiness, and overall approach to life. Self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. Introduction, embrace self-compassion your path to inner peace and personal growth. In an age where the critique often centers on our self-centered tendencies, labeling many as narcissistic, self-involved, or egotistical, it's ironic that a vast majority of us are also caught in the throes of severe self-criticism. This paradox reveals a critical oversight in the common narrative. While we may focus intently on ourselves, we're not always doing so with kindness or understanding. Many of us are our own harshest critics. We meet our errors with frustration rather than forgiveness. We set the bar for success so high it's often out of reach. And then we mentally beat ourselves up for not making the cut. Daily, we engage in a cruel inner dialogue, belittling our worth and capabilities, leaving us feeling perpetually insufficient. But why do we fall into this trap of negative self-talk? What harm does it really cause? And importantly, how can we transition towards a more compassionate, supportive relationship with ourselves? This journey of discovery starts by recognizing why our habitual self-criticism only leads us further away from our goals, playing against our well-being rather than for it. It highlights the transformative power of self-compassion, a gentler yet profoundly more impactful method to foster personal growth and emotional resilience. We'll also tackle a surprisingly common discomfort, the idea of offering kindness and understanding to ourselves, often viewed with suspicion or discounted as self-indulgence. Through understanding the destructive nature of self-criticism and embracing the nurturing practice of self-compassion, you'll find a more fulfilling path to self-improvement, one that not only encourages personal growth, but also fosters a deep, lasting sense of inner peace. Part 1, Uncovering the Roots, How Childhood Shapes Our Self-Critique. It's a narrative as old as time, 
or at least as old as modern psychology. When confronted with personal challenges or deep-seated issues, we're often encouraged to look back to our formative years, our childhood, to find the source. This trope, while sometimes brushed off as a simplification or blamed unfairly on parenting, holds a kernel of truth, especially when exploring the origins of self-criticism and feelings of inadequacy. Herein lies the essential insight. The seeds of self-criticism and inadequacy, more often than not, are planted in our childhood soil. Research within psychology paints a picture of this phenomenon. It suggests that adults who frequently indulge in self-criticism likely encountered a critical parental figure during their younger years. This connection is intuitive. As children, we look up to our parents as our primary guides, protectors, and nurturers. They help us navigate the complexities of the world, offer us love, and as such, their opinions and judgments carry substantial weight. Now, imagine growing up under the watchful eye of a parent who seldom misses an opportunity to critique. From the manner in which you eat to the choice of your attire, every action seems to invite criticism, often paired with harsh, belittling comments. Such an environment teaches a child that they're fundamentally lacking, fostering a belief that love and acceptance are conditional upon achieving perfection. This persistent criticism, especially at a tender age, has a profound effect. It doesn't just sting in the moment. It starts a cycle where the child, in an effort to escape parental disapproval, begins to adopt a preemptive approach to criticism. By internalizing their parents' harsh judgments, they hope to correct their behavior before any faults are pointed out. What happens then is a transformation. The external voice of criticism becomes an internal one. A dropped glass of water is no longer a small accident, but a testament to one's clumsiness, narrated in the most derisive of tones within one's own mind. This habit, once formed, is remarkably resilient, trailing far into adulthood. It's not merely a disposition toward self-criticism. It's a deeply rooted belief in one's inherent inadequacy, watered and grown from the critiques of childhood. Part 2. The Pressure Cooker of Society, Navigating Through Collective Criticism Is it merely a case of parental influence gone awry? Hold that thought. Our journey into the thickets of self-criticism and feelings of inadequacy doesn't start and end at the familial doorstep. Beyond the confines of home, a myriad of voices join the chorus, be it a sibling, teacher, or coach, each leaving an indelible mark on our burgeoning sense of self during the tender years of childhood. However, it's not solely the direct criticisms from these personal connections that sculpt our inner critic. The broader societal context in which we grow plays a pivotal role as well. Here's the central insight. The societal constructs we inhabit are breeding grounds for self-criticism and inadequacy. In Western societies particularly, we find ourselves entrenched in environments that valorize competition and individual achievement, setting us up in an arena where the goal is to outshine others. Success and self-esteem are often gauged by our ability to excel beyond the average, to be the proverbial number one. Yet, by design, not everyone can surpass the average. For one to stand atop the podium, others must remain below. 
This paradigm pits us against one another, fostering a mindset where comparisons and rivalries thrive. It's a relentless tallying of achievements, a constant measurement against societal yardsticks that prize material wealth, aesthetic appeal, and other markers of success. Consequently, our self-worth becomes entangled with our perceived standing in this competitive tapestry, how we fare against others and against the benchmarks set by society. The quandary, however, is that supremacy in every domain is unattainable. For every rich entrepreneur that we might envy for their material success or model we might admire for their flawless beauty, there lies a stark reminder that we, in some way, fall short. And, given our human nature, perfection remains an elusive, constantly moving target. Mistakes are inevitable. Room for improvement is omnipresent. Thus, when we tether our self-esteem to this relentless comparison and the idealized standards heralded by society, dissatisfaction with ourselves becomes a constant companion. We're perpetually fixated on the delta between where we are and where we believe we should be, according to societal expectations. This perpetual sense of falling short fuels a cycle of self-criticism as we navigate through life feeling perpetually inadequate, always striving, yet never quite reaching the bar set by the collective script of societal success. Part 3. The Double-Edged Sword of Self-Criticism, Motivation at a Price For the champions of self-improvement among us, it might seem counterintuitive to disparage self-criticism entirely. You might argue, isn't self-criticism a catalyst for personal growth? Doesn't it keep us from becoming complacent, continually pushing us towards betterment? The answer is nuanced. Yes, to a certain extent, self-criticism can serve as a motivator. However, it's crucial to recognize the hefty toll it exacts. The essence of the matter is this. While self-criticism can nudge us towards improvement, it is fraught with significant drawbacks. Self-criticism carries with it a certain motivational charge, primarily because it's inherently unpleasant. It often comes bundled with harsh self-rebukes and damaging assessments of our worth. For instance, if you're habitually self-critical and arrive late for a meeting, you might berate yourself with thoughts like, I'm such a failure, I never get anything right. Hearing such negative self-talk is undoubtedly painful, and naturally, we're inclined to do whatever we can to steer clear of this discomfort. Hence, you might make a mental note to set an alarm next time, showcasing how self-criticism can indeed spur behavioral adjustments. But crucially, it's the dread of experiencing pain that drives this change. This reliance on fear as a motivator is problematic for several reasons. Firstly, it has the potential to breed anxiety, which can sabotage our efforts to succeed. Picture, for instance, an actor about to take the stage, the weight of anticipated judgment, be it from an audience or from within, can divert focus from the art of acting to the fear of criticism. This fear-induced distraction can tighten its grip, manifesting as debilitating stage fright, irrespective of the source of judgment. Moreover, extreme anxiety might lead one to underperform deliberately, thus providing a conveniently dismissive explanation for any critique. I wasn't really trying. This phenomenon, known as self-handicapping, represents a defensive tactic to buffer oneself 
against the anticipated sting of failure. Procrastination is another byproduct of this defensive mindset. To dodge the discomfort of self-criticism, one might delay tackling tasks that could potentially trigger such internal censure. Procrastination, then, becomes a temporary refuge, postponing the inevitable confrontation with one's self-imposed judge. Thus, while self-criticism can indeed prompt some degree of self-improvement, this motivation comes at a steep cost. Anxiety, self-sabotage, and procrastination. These negatives not only undermine the immediate behavioral adjustments, but can also inflict deeper, more enduring psychological damage, making the supposed benefits of self-criticism considerably less appealing when viewed in their entirety. Part 4. When Self-Criticism Turns Toxic, Navigating the Path of Self-Abuse Picture this scenario. You're strolling down a slick, icy path with your best friend when suddenly she slips and tumbles to the ground. How do you react? Do you grimly reprimand her, jeer at her inability to navigate a simple walkway, calling her a hopeless fool? Chances are, such a harsh response is inconceivable when directed at a friend. Yet, intriguingly, it's a dialogue that many of us don't hesitate to engage in with ourselves at the slightest stumble or setback. This propensity for ruthless self-criticism, upon closer inspection, reveals itself to be not just unproductive, but exceedingly harmful. The harsh truth becomes starkly evident when we consider how such words would affect someone whose opinion we cherish like a child. Seen through this lens, what we often dismiss as self-discipline or rigor reveals its true nature, a form of self-abuse. The essence of this insight is chilling. Intense self-reproach not only constitutes psychological self-harm, but also bears profound, long-lasting ramifications. Imagine the impact on a child constantly berated with labels like worthless, incapable, or inadequate. Over time, these damning assessments would not just scar her self-esteem, but would weave a pervasive fear of failure into the fabric of her being. This analogy mirrors the impact of self-criticism on adults with striking accuracy. What follows such relentless internal chastisement is a spiral into depression, anxiety, insecurity, and a pervasive dissatisfaction with life. There's substantial evidence linking self-criticism to these bleak psychological landscapes, highlighting its role in eroding self-efficacy, our confidence in our ability to effect change in our lives. It's a well-documented truth that our achievements are often proportionate to our belief in our capability to realize them. Consider furthermore the immediate consequences of self-criticism we've touched upon. The anxiety it induces not only preoccupies our mind, but can also lead to avoidance tactics, such as procrastination and self-handicapping, all of which handicap our performance and productivity. When we piece this puzzle together, a sobering picture emerges. Far from being a constructive force driving us towards excellence and self-improvement, self-criticism sabotages our mental health and cripples our potential for achievement. It's an insidious foe masquerading as a friend, one that undermines us profoundly, betraying its promise of propelling us toward betterment. In recognition of this, it becomes clear that if self-improvement is indeed our goal, self-criticism is a misguided approach, a detour on the road to fulfilling our potential 
that we're better off avoiding. Part 5. Choosing Self-Compassion, a Nurturing Root Beyond Self-Criticism Acknowledging that the path of self-criticism is fraught with peril, we're left to ponder, what's the healthier alternative? Let's revisit the scenario of your friend's mishap on the icy pavement. Imagine, instead of harsh words, you offer a hand, inquire gently about her well-being, and assist her in rising. This act of kindness is a direct expression of compassion, something we effortlessly extend to others in their moments of vulnerability. What if we were to apply the same compassion towards ourselves during times of personal setbacks or failures? This shift towards self-compassion marks a transformative step in how we relate to ourselves. The core principle is straightforward. Self-compassion presents a gentler, more constructive alternative to the harshness of self-criticism. To understand how to cultivate self-compassion, it's useful to analyze the compassionate response we naturally offer to a friend. Initially, we express concern and acknowledge their pain. A simple, are you okay? This attentiveness to their discomfort reflects the first element of self-compassion, recognizing and validating our own suffering. In Western cultures, many of us are conditioned from a young age to downplay our struggles, adopting a stiff upper lip in the face of adversity. The implication being, to show fortitude is to silently endure. Yet, this stoic stance often impedes our ability to acknowledge our own pain. Challenging this cultural norm, self-compassion urges us to pause and consciously reflect on our emotional state. Are we feeling despondent, anxious, or perhaps frustrated with ourselves? The practice of self-compassion begins with this mindfulness towards our inner experience, bringing our feelings of distress or disappointment into the light of awareness. Once we've recognized and accepted our suffering, the path then leads us towards treating ourselves with the same kindness and understanding we would offer a friend. This nurturing response represents the essence of self-compassion, a practice that we will delve deeper into in the subsequent sections. By adopting this approach, we not only soothe our current afflictions, but also lay the groundwork for a healthier, more supportive relationship with ourselves, one that fosters resilience and growth rather than perpetuating self-doubt and criticism. Part 6. Embracing Self-Kindness. Moving Beyond Harshness to Healing. In our quest to offer ourselves the same compassion and understanding we'd extend to a loved one in distress, we confront the challenge of expressing genuine kindness towards ourselves. This endeavor often finds us in familiar territory, the universal acts of comfort we readily provide to others. When someone close to us is in pain, our instincts guide us. Words of solace, a reassuring touch, or a simple gesture of support. At this juncture, you might wonder, am I expected to physically comfort myself in times of distress? And the answer is a resounding yes. If the concept strikes you as peculiar, it's largely indicative of the cultural and personal barriers we face in practicing self-compassion. The core of the matter is this. To truly practice self-kindness, we must challenge and overcome the ingrained belief that harshness towards ourselves is warranted or beneficial. This battle is particularly uphill for those steeped in Western culture 
where the ethos of enduring pain with stoicism and viewing personal setbacks as sole individual failings prevails. This mindset doesn't merely lead to self-reproach in moments of perceived failure. It also instills a deep-seated resistance to acknowledging and empathizing with our own suffering. The misguided conviction that we are deserving of this pain exacerbates its intensity. Yet, the notion of self-compassion isn't as unattainable or as bizarre as it might initially appear. Consider the physiological response triggered by a hug, an action that unleashes a cascade of oxytocin in our system, fostering feelings of calmness, security, and relief. The beauty of this response is its universality. Our bodies cannot distinguish the source of the hug, which means self-hugging can theoretically yield the same comforting effect. Why not experiment with this simple act of kindness the next time you're ensnared in the grips of anxiety or sorrow? Worded compassion plays an equally vital role. Addressing oneself with gentle phrases like, it's tough right now and that's okay, can pave the way for a more nurturing self-dialogue. If you recoil at the thought, it's a moment ripe for reflection. What does this reflexive discomfort reveal about the tenderness, or lack thereof, with which you view yourself? Confronting and dismantling these self-imposed barriers to self-kindness is no small task. Yet, it is a critical step towards fostering a genuine sense of compassion and care for oneself, transforming self-criticism from a voice of condemnation to one of support and healing. Part 7. Cultivating Self-Compassion Through Psychological Distance The journey into self-compassion often counters our ingrained cultural narratives and personal discomfort with expressing care towards ourselves. It's a shift that might stir unease, attributed to our entrenched beliefs in resilience and self-sufficiency. Yet, embracing self-compassion offers a profound transformation in how we address our suffering. Central to this transformation is the concept. Practicing self-compassion involves creating a psychological buffer between ourselves and our distress. When we engage in acts of self-comfort, like a self-hug or soothing words, we're essentially embodying two distinct roles simultaneously, the giver and receiver of care. Typically, these roles are occupied by two separate individuals, but self-compassion blurs these lines, inviting you to adopt both perspectives. This dual role play allows you to witness your pain objectively, acknowledging the distress while also engaging in nurturing behaviors towards yourself. This process divides the self into two entities, one that experiences suffering and seeks comfort, and another that observes this suffering with empathy and steps in to provide solace. The latter part distances itself from the immediate pain, enfolding the suffering self with understanding and compassion. This act of self-nurturing whispers a powerful message. Yes, I am in pain, but my essence stretches beyond this moment of suffering. I am also the compassion and care that I extend to myself, a source of comfort, not merely a recipient. Mindfulness plays a pivotal role in reinforcing this separation, preventing total absorption in negative emotions. It acts as a pause, an acknowledgement of your emotional state from a step back, allowing you to see it as a transient phase rather than an all-encompassing reality. This perspective is crucial. Swallowed by a negative emotion, your ability to seek solutions or explore alternative viewpoints diminishes. 
For instance, if stress tinges your perception, the world appears as an unending source of pressure, a skewed view that clouds the actual catalysts of stress. Practicing mindfulness returns you to a place of clarity, where stress is seen not as an inherent quality of your environment, but as a response to specific stimuli. This clarity breaks the cycle of stressful interpretations, enabling you to address the root causes effectively. Through self-compassion and mindfulness, you're not merely navigating your emotions, you're recalibrating your relationship with them. This process opens a space for healing, where emotions are met with understanding rather than resistance, positioning you to confront challenges with a grounded and compassionate perspective. Part 8. Embracing our collective journey. The power of shared humanity in self-compassion. Have you ever been burdened by a fear or concern, convinced you were navigating these tumultuous waters alone? Take, for instance, the dread of public speaking, a common anxiety that many privately wrestle with. Imagine the isolation of believing you're the sole person afflicted by this fear, berating yourself for this perceived uniqueness. Why can't I handle this when everyone else seems to, you might wonder, sinking into further self-criticism? Now picture a moment of revelation where you learn that public speaking is, in fact, a widespread phobia. Suddenly, you're not isolated in your struggle, but part of a vast community of individuals grappling with the same concern. This realization that your experience is woven into the fabric of human nature can be significantly liberating. This brings us to a fundamental aspect of self-compassion. Recognizing our shared humanity with others is an essential element of self-compassion. In moments of personal distress, it's all too easy to become enveloped in our own world of suffering, losing sight of the broader human experience. This tunnel vision can leave us feeling uniquely flawed or singularly unlucky, intensifying our distress. However, Embracing the fact that challenges, mistakes, and setbacks are universal can significantly dilute this anguish, providing a comforting reminder that we're not alone. Moreover, acknowledging our common humanity doesn't merely offer solace in our shared struggles. It also acts as a potent remedy against the perfectionism that fuels our self-critical habits and feelings of inadequacy. By recognizing that flaws, errors, and trials are part of the universal human condition, we can shift our perspective. Yes, we all stumble. Yes, we all face obstacles. And yes, we all have imperfections. This acknowledgement doesn't exempt us from striving to learn, grow, and improve. It simply means that self-flagellation over our human traits is unreasonable. Ultimately, cultivating self-compassion through acknowledging our shared humanity isn't about coddling ourselves or shirking accountability. It's about adopting a rational, and compassionate approach to our existence as humans, recognizing our collective journey with kindness and understanding. This perspective not only alleviates the weight of isolation, but also aligns us with a more forgiving and realistic view of our place in the world. Part 9. Transforming Self-Criticism into a Gateway for Self-Compassion The journey from the harsh landscapes of self-criticism to the nurturing valleys of self-compassion is not a simple or straightforward one. For those accustomed to the relentless internal critic, the idea of suddenly adopting a compassionate tone towards oneself might feel as achievable as turning lead into gold. Ironically, it's not uncommon for initial attempts at self-compassion 
to become fodder for further self-criticism. Catching yourself in the act of self-criticism and then admonishing yourself for it, not this again, be kinder, can feel like a paradoxical twist in this path towards gentleness. But criticizing ourselves for our self-criticism only ensnares us in a recursive loop of negativity. So, what's the way out of this self-defeating cycle? The approach lies in leveraging our self-criticism as the very foundation for cultivating self-compassion. The essence of this shift is self-criticism doesn't have to be purely an obstruction. It can serve as a valuable entry point into practicing self-compassion. Consider a moment in your day, perhaps when you're taking a pause from work, only to discover a pile of unwashed dishes that you had neglected. To the chronic self-critic, this scenario might trigger an automatic barrage of berating thoughts. What a mess I am. The initial step towards transformation involves becoming a keen observer of your own internal dialogue. Recognize and pause to listen to the critical self-talk without immediately rushing to judgment or correction. Understanding the underlying emotions and needs that fuel these critical thoughts is crucial. Maybe the sight of untidiness in your home frustrates you because a clean space is essential for your focus and productivity. Now, rather than chastising yourself further, pose a compassionate inquiry. How can I address this need? Options might include dedicating a moment to tidy up or requesting assistance from someone you share your space with. At this juncture, the narrative you tell yourself begins to change. Instead of the internal critic leading the conversation with disparagement, a compassionate voice takes the stage acknowledging your frustration and offering a constructive way forward. It's understandable to feel upset about the disarray. It's okay. Let's take a moment to clear up creating a better environment to work in. This shift isn't about excusing or ignoring the underlying issue. It's about approaching it with kindness and understanding, thereby transforming criticism into actionable self-support. It demonstrates that self-compassion is not about complacency, but about recognizing and addressing our needs in a manner that encourages growth and self-care. In this light, self-criticism becomes a beacon, illuminating the path to self-compassion, guiding us towards a gentler and more effective way of engaging with ourselves. Final Summary In our voyage through life, we often encounter turbulent waves of self-criticism and a stormy sense of inadequacy. These tumultuous feelings can largely be traced back to our early experiences of criticism, from parental figures to societal pressures, in a world that measures worth by success and competition. However, nestled within this storm lies a beacon of hope and healing, self-compassion. Self-compassion emerges as a sanctuary, a place where we can seek refuge from the harsh critique we so often directed ourselves. It's not merely an alternative approach. It's a transformative practice that counters the destructive nature of self-criticism. To cultivate self-compassion, we engage in a threefold process that can radically shift our internal dialogue and our relationship with ourselves. Firstly, we must embrace mindfulness, becoming acutely aware of our suffering without being overwhelmed by it. This step involves acknowledging our pain with the same attentiveness and care we would offer to a friend in distress. By doing so, we begin to step away from the cycle of self-judgment, opening a space where healing can commence. 
Secondly, we practice kindness towards ourselves, counteracting the ingrained tendency to meet our flaws and setbacks with criticism. This step may involve tangible acts of self-comfort, such as gentle words or even a self-embrace, that signal a shift from a stance of criticism to one of support and understanding. Lastly, we invoke the power of shared humanity, recognizing that our struggles, imperfections and vulnerabilities are part of the collective human experience. This realization acts as a gentle reminder that we are not alone in our journey, fostering a sense of connection that can ease the burden of isolation and self-critique. By integrating these practices into our daily lives, we not only diminish the hold of self-criticism, but also pave the way for a more compassionate, kind, and fulfilled existence. Self-compassion, therefore, is not an endpoint but a path, a path that leads us towards greater self-acceptance, resilience, and an enduring sense of inner peace. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.